What are you going to do, Commissioner? There's only one thing we can do. Sir, it's the Batfoot. Yes, Commissioner. Batman? We'll be right there. Biff Bam Pal. This is Batman Land. Be careful. Maybe a trap. Each week we chat about the 1966 Batman TV show. We're Batman and Robin, the crime fighters. We discuss the episodes that aired this week on SBS Viceland. My name is Dan Barrett. I'm an editor here at SBS. When booking my co-host for Batman Land, he insists I call his number 555-5555. It's Nick Bassine. I asked you not to give out my phone number. Uh, this is really awkward. I, I didn't even think. But yes, that is how you can reach me. Yeah. So send No all... area code. Just dial the fives. Five, five, five. Just dial five until it stops, until it, the machine stops you. See, I love that, because that's one of these things on TV shows where when they're giving the numbers, a TV show prefix always starts with five, five, five. Yeah. But then in this one, they just put the full hog and it's like five, 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 five. Five, yeah. five. It was because you couldn't put real phone numbers in movies and TV shows. But I think it's changed now. I feel like we see legitimate phone numbers now. I think because viewers caught on so that 555 wasn't a real thing. I think there was a law or something. I mean, there used to be a law saying you needed the 555. Yeah. But I'm guessing that they've now just mandated. Like, there's probably just other numbers assigned. I'm not looking this up, so um, yeah. I'll just have to believe you. Well, I'm just presuming this is a theory that they've probably just assigned like four or five different numbers to fake TV shows and movies. Well, fake numbers. The TV shows and movies are real. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, Dan, you've watched the episodes, but you don't have any idea what happened to them. Look, I was embarrassed. I didn't really know how to raise this. But no, huh. Nick, I do not remember what happened this week. I'm so glad I asked. Otherwise, uh, who knows what would have happened in the next half hour. This is the thing. I don't remember what's in the episode. I forgot to book a third guest for the week. Like, <laughs> this is just a schmozzle of a podcast. But Nick, please can you remind us what happened in this week's Batman? So the Green Hornet and Cato, who's played by Bruce Lee. How so? Bruce Lee is in this episode. <laughs> sure does sound tricky. Bruce ends of the Dragon Lee. <laughs> So the Green Hornet and Kato bust up a counterfeiter gang's casual get-together at a factory. Let's give them a thorough pasting! Pinky Pinkston, the owner of the factory, alerts the police who alert Batman. Hello, Miss Pinkston. What can I do for you? Bruce Wayne and Britt Reed, the Green Hornet's alter ego, go to dinner with Pinky at some very gross 60s version of Hooters. Oh, that is beautiful. Beautiful. Bruce Lee is nowhere to be seen. Guess you can't win them all. Then they visit a stereotypical Russian stamp collector. You satanic mad stamp man. Which is another scene that Bruce Lee is not in for some reason. The counterfeiter gang push the Green Hornet and Kato into a machine and turn them into stamps and then push Batman and Robin against a sticky glue pad. But this time, you're really stuck. But they escape. Holy split seconds, let's go. Pinky gets kidnapped by the leader of the stamp gang. Then she tells the police that Batman and the Green Hornet are dead for some reason. Then they all show up to stop the stamp guy from robbing the stamp exhibition. And Bruce Lee seriously kicks the spit out of Robin. The Green Hornet and Kato just take off. We've never run away from trouble before. And Batman and Robin stop the stamp guy. Here's the thing. If you could turn back time and redo this episode, there'd be a bunch of things that you'd probably do. Oh One, my God, are there a bunch of things I would do. First thing I'd focus on, maybe make it a little bit more entertaining. <laughs> But one of the ways you would do that is to put Bruce Lee in this a whole lot more and let Bruce Lee be Bruce Lee. I am so glad you said that because that is the most glaring thing. Like you, <laughs> we all love this show. It's a yeah. classic and it's uh, fun for a certain set of reasons that we've gone over over and over again. And children of all ages. Yeah. But it is so obvious that you have a person here with immense talent, the likes of which has never been seen, definitely not on American television. 
I'm sure they were doing stuff like this in Hong Kong all, already, but and you're just kind of si- you're just sidelining him, which speaks to a greater problem with that I have with the Green Hornet, which must be the biggest hate crime <laughs> on all of tele in all of television history. The Green Hornet, the show, yes, mm. where we got to watch Van Van Williams Van Williams walk around and punch people while there is a martial arts <laughs> legend standing next to him chauffeuring him around. Here's the thing, and this is probably the obvious reference to make here, but have you seen Dragon, the Bruce Lee story? I love that movie. I I rewatched uh, some of it recently. I mean, it's very, it really overdone and very biopic I mean, it was what, like 94, 95? Yeah, yeah. Like, it feels like a 94, but 95 it's still, film. I think it, there's a lot that's great about it. Yeah, but that scene where they show the production on the first yes. day of The Green Hornet. Yes. And you've got the Bruce Lee, I mean, character, but real life guy. And he's jumping around and he's doing flips and all sorts of amazing stuff. And I think in that film, um, it's been years since I've seen it. But they said something like the camera couldn't keep up with him. Was that the line given? There's also a technical reason why it doesn't work. In the movie, I don't think they, at least not in that scene, they don't explain that the camera, whether the camera can or can't keep up with him. What they emphasize is how stunned everyone is because they ask him to do just walk down some stairs. And instead, he's jumping all over the place (laughs) and kicking out lights and uh, terrifying everyone. And here's the thing. The Green Hornet TV show, never a success. They rushed this show into production because Batman was a huge deal. Unlike Batman, they chose not to go the camp route. Instead, they just played it really, really straight. Have you ever, you've ever watched the show? I've watched clips. Okay, if you watch the show, like it is a very quiet, very still TV drama. And I actually quite like it. I think it's good. I think it's moody. I think it's an interesting production. Is it half hour or hour? I want to say it's an hour long for each episode, but I could be wrong. It's been years since I've watched it. But watching it, like, it's just such a very deliberately paced thing. And it seems crazy to have Bruce Lee, of all people in the show, where he's this buttoned-down assistant who doesn't do anything in the show. But the show was never a success. It comes off the heat of Batman for that first year in 1966. They kick off with the new season in, what would be, September. Green Hornet gets added to the schedule. They're like, the kids love Batman. We'll do this sort of darker thing where adults will be a bit more into Green Hornet and the kids can watch their Batman and the adults can enjoy Green Hornet. You know, the audience is all sort of propagated across both. It'll be a huge success. It was not a huge success. Right. Yeah. And so you come towards the end of the first season of the Green Hornet and I'm like, look, we need to boost ratings on this thing and we're going to lose our second cash cow. Let's do the crossover with Batman. And I think it's telling that Green Hornet and Kato appear in the Batman show and that Batman was never in Green Hornet. Well, it just seems so strange to have a crossover where Batman shows up in your show. Yeah. But I guess, yeah, that certainly would have made sense in 66. And so they rock up in Batman and there was only like three episodes left to go to air for the Green Hornet. And yeah, it did nothing. Like that show got canned. But what's weird watching these episodes is how this does not feel like a Batman episode at all. Didn't notice that it seemed as though they took the style of the old Green Hornet show and took the sort of quietness of it and just laid it over the top of Batman. So things were a little bit camp, but they weren't really as broad as they usually go. Like things just felt a little bit more adult and sedate. I know this doesn't happen all this all that often on this show, but I'm going to disagree with you. Okay, sir. The bad guy with the big mustache, he was hamming it up like a, maybe to Riddler levels with his maniacal laughs and his different accents. He has a name. It's Colonel Gum. Everyone's favorite uh, Batman sorry, villain, Colonel yeah. Gum. See uh, Gum, yeah. Britt Reed, the uh, Green Hornet's uh, alter ego, he's the, very similar to a Bruce Wayne type of character. So the both putting two of them into scenes just killed the vibe. <laughs> so much charisma. It's just too much. 
It's when you got two magnets of the same polarity. Yes. And where they're both hitting on the ladies in that creepy restaurant. Oh, man. Well, they both are playboys. He's a newspaper publisher. Yeah. How is he rich? Oh, he's like a, it's a the, Hearst type yeah, it's of like a... It's like the 1960s newspaper publisher. And he was in town with all the other newspaper publishers for the newspaper publisher convention. Oh, boy. What a time. Can you imagine a newspaper publisher convention being held now in 2018? There'd be like three guys there. Poor bastards. I spent a lot of the episode mystified by, A, why isn't Bruce Lee playing Batman? And why isn't Bruce Lee just in this show the whole time? And B, who cares about the Green Hornet? Why did they make that movie in 2011? Why? I understand for a hero in the 30s, but I don't understand how it's lived this long. Well, I mean, the thing to realize is that it never really has lived that long. So if you think about the They just the made Rogan a movie film, about it. But if you think about that Seth Rogen film, that came and died with complete indifference from the world. There was no one coming to it saying, oh gosh, I've got to check out this Green Hornet movie. Every so often, a small publisher will come along with the line of Green Hornet comics, but they never last. It just comes and goes. These days, it's only really remembered as this weird adjunct for these Batman episodes more than anything else. What's it most famous for now? For, how, for starting Bruce Lee's Hollywood career? I would say, oh, what, the actual show? Or just or the just character the generally? the character. I think these days it's probably remembered as that Seth Rogen movie more than anything else. Okay. But, I mean, the only vitality that the character has is really from the Batman show as far as a broader pop culture perspective goes. But the radio serial back in the day, that was hugely popular. The Green Hornet. He hunts the biggest of all game, public enemies that even the G-men cannot reach. The Green Hornet. Which is why it led to the TV show and that kicked off. But do you know what the deal is with the character of the Green Hornet? And his relation to movie and radio serials? Uh, No, I don't. So, what's the name of the Green Hornet? What's his alter ego? Britt Reed. Britt Reed. Now, there was another popular radio serial of the time called The Lone Ranger. Uh, of course. The main guy in that, you never found out his first name, but his name was Reed. A fiery horse with the speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty high silver, the Lone Ranger. Of course. So apparently his nephew was Dan Reed, and Dan Reed's son is one Britt Reed. Oh my God. Yeah, the masks are the exact same. Yeah, same domino mask. And he's wearing a fedora instead of a cowboy hat, is that yeah. right? So it's like an updated version of the Lone Ranger. Oh, man. Now, I don't remember the deal with the Lone Ranger. Was it the same as with Green Hornet, where everyone thinks that he's a villain, but really it turns out that he's doing good things? Because my memory of the Lone Ranger is that he's just a man on the side of good. Yeah, I don't think there's any um, question about his goodness. I don't believe it. I didn't know this about the Green Hornet, that some people think he's a criminal. Yeah. That's how he infiltrates the underworld. I knew that, and I knew that much like the Lone Ranger, both of them had a uh, questionable assistance in terms of racial politics. Oh, God. This was at once the most screen time given to a person of color on this show Mm. and the biggest waste of talent (laughs) in television history. Yeah. I I think I'd agree on on both fronts here. Um, I will say this for both the Green Hornet TV show and his appearance in Batman. Kato is at least given a lot more dignity than, say, Tonto is in The Lone Ranger. Yeah, I, I'm not a big Lone Ranger head. I haven't seen a lot of that stuff. I remember the unfortunate Johnny Depp movie. Yeah. Now, Dan, you're familiar with the work of Diane McBain. 
Oh, look, are we talking about the actress who has made a repeat appearance in this Batman series? What? Has she? She has. Who, is, who else has she been? Now, I haven't seen these episodes because these are from the one episode of Batman Land I didn't do and didn't go back to rewatch the episodes. Uh, she appeared in the Mad Hatter episode, the first time in the Mad oh, Hatter. really? And she played his mole, Lisa. Oh, okay. I didn't recognize her. She's been on the Green Hornet, though. She was on the Green Hornet. And you might know her from... Um, Surfside 6? Surfside 6. In Miami Beach. Co-starring Diane McBain. And Bourbon Street Beat. Okay, that's interesting because Van uh, Williams, I always want to say Van Johnson, but different guys. Van Williams, uh, why is there no one named Van anymore? What's that about? What is it short for? Is it short for something? Vandermeer? Vandermeer sounds good. Yeah? Yeah. My first son will be Vandermeer Barrett. Yeah. Yeah, proud name. But he appeared in those aforementioned TV shows. Yes, he did. Like he was the lead. I thought maybe that there was a, they were married or something, but um, that information will have to be lost to history. Yeah. Uh, in terms of probably like the biggest name, that isn't Bruce Lee in this, but for genre fans, uh, the gentleman who played Colonel Gum, uh, the world's favorite Batman villain, uh, was an actor named Roger C. Carmel. Now, genre fans know him really well for his, I think, two appearances in the classic Star Trek series, oh. where he played Harry Mudd, who's a beloved character. He was like a con man shyster in the 23rd universe. Uh, 23rd, uh, what do they call them? Centuries. Oh. Yeah. So wait, wait, which iteration of Star Trek like is it? Classic 1960, no, yeah. 1966 Star Trek. Oh, wow. Because both Star Trek and the Batman show debuted the exact same year. Yeah, how about that? Yeah, part Good of why 1966 him. is the best year in TV history. And the Vietnam War was just getting started. Yeah, raging on. Like, it's a horrible crime that we uh, have gone this long talking about guest stars and we didn't mention Edward G. Robinson, who's one of the great film actors of all time. Yeah. Double Indemnity, Key Largo, Soylent Green. Little Caesar, Soylent Green. These episodes were, everything was so mishandled, but watch, seeing Edward G. Robinson come out of the, come out of the window was fantastic. <laughs> uh, they kind of blew it, but I don't really understand how they're writing the jokes for the people that come out of the window. It's really off and kind of not funny, and they talk about paintings. It's very strange, but it's great to see him. Well, because he starts laying into Andy Warhol, and yeah. apparently just Robinson hated Andy Warhol. He did we, not care for his art style. There are weird cultural shots fired on this show. Oh, look, very much so. The weird thing that always comes to mind for me when I think about Mr. Robinson is I think about like three weeks after I met you, you started saying, you <laughs> yeah. know what? You sound like Edward G. Robinson. I'm really glad you brought that up because yeah. I still think that to this day. Baffling. I don't hear it. It's when you say, yeah. Yeah. It's when you have, you have nothing more to say about in a conversation. The conversation's I, over. And then I full stop it with a yeah. You full stop it with a yeah, but it's it's guttural. It comes from the back of your throat. Mm -mm. I'll point it out to you next time. It's fantastic. Yeah, please do. I love it. Yeah. Can we talk for a second about why this weird 60s Hooters restaurant is in a kid's show? Yeah, what was that about? They're they eating dinner at a place where just women are walking around in lingerie. And then Pinky, who's clearly a willing participant in turning up at this restaurant, she starts laying into both Bruce and Britt for like flirting. flirting with the waitresses. It's really uncomfortable. Were they even doing much waitressing? No, no, they're just walking around. They're not waitresses. Oh, no, they're just models. Yeah. Yeah. It's very weird. But speaking of weird, it goes straight into that moment where Bruce claims that he's not flirting. He was just feeling the dog. 
Like, what sort of crazy euphemism is that? No, he said feeding the dog. You know what? I, he did say feeding the dog. <laughs> I wrote feeling in my notes. Wait. Oh, my God. Man, we that should, would, that would got, be a different show. We got to change the name of this podcast to feeling the dog. <laughs> That's wonderful. Hey, yeah, listen, feeling the dog sounds like a euphemism for something. Not even feeding the dog sounds like something. Either way. Either way, it's gross. Either way, we can't say this on a podcast. No. Yeah, explicit rating on this one. Um, can we also talk about the very last shot, which ends in a way I don't I don't think I've seen on Batman before, where there's a joke and then they laugh to credits like a, like it's Police Squad. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, run us through it. What was the joke? Do you remember? So the joke is uh, Bruce Wayne comes back to the table and he leans over to the dog and says, Now, Apricot, as you were saying. And then uh, Pinky Pinkerton Pinkston says, Bruce, you're not talking to a dog. And they all laugh and laugh. It's so creepy. When did, where does that come from? Because Police Squad was making fun of it 10 years or 15 years later. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to work out in my mind because I know it's just a convention of TV shows where they tell a joke and everyone freezes. Yeah. But I can't for the life of me think of any shows that actually do that. We should find out what the origin of it is. Who did it first? Yeah. And why hasn't Police Squad been on TV for a long while? Why don't we get Police Squad? Let's have a chat with John. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have a word. That's... Uh, yeah. take, take it to management. Speaking of things that should be taken to management, the show has a very bizarre occupation this week with Alphabet Soup. Yeah, which yes. Is, very strange. I like Colonel Gum when he was whatever character he was playing in the restaurant, and he's asking the maitre d' whether or not he can get some alphabet soup. He was after a specific type of alphabet soup. Did he mention a brand? Because I was trying to figure out why they would keep mentioning alphabet soup. No, he was after a specific flavor of alphabet soup. And then the maitre d' comes out saying the only alphabet soup they have is tomato, split pea, and clam chowder. But it's not clear whether that's the one soup or if that's three different types of alphabet soups. Oh, too bad. You colonials are still so uncivilized. Well, I suppose I must go elsewhere. I didn't realize they made alphabet soup in that many different uh, styles. <laughs> I would imagine not. I think that's what they call in the show a joke. Have you ever had clam chowder? Uh, I believe it's pronounced chowder. And no, I have not. Oh. You are missing out, my friend. What would be clam guy? Clam chowder is amazing. Boston clam chowder, not Manhattan clam chowder, which is more tomato-based. See, awkwardly, I probably would have gone for the Manhattan clam no, chowder. Big mistake. Yeah, sounds like it. But the alphabet soup obviously plays a role much later in the episode where Pinky, where she's being held captive by her former floor manager. <laughs> right, the floor manager. Yeah, floorman, floor manager, whatever's going on there. Uh, she ends up taking out all the J's, Q's, and Z's Zeds uh, from the alphabet soup and Batman who thankfully has an alphabet soup back container on him is able to work through it and find the hidden message. Do you think that this is more that Charles What's-His-Face whoever wrote the episode was just having an alphabet soup fixation that week or what possible reason could they have to use it as a plot point? Uh, Charles Hoffman was the writer and I suspect that a lot of these set pieces that use in the show is people just sitting in their office looking around just trying to come up with an yeah. idea. Yeah. I yeah. love Lamp. Yeah. Who doesn't love Lamp? Something we probably need to talk about is rampant misogyny at work once more, where, I mean, first you've got that models business, but yeah. then later on the episode with Aunt Harriet using her hair, like, dryer, I think it must have been, and she managed to short-circuit all the electricals that affected the Batcave as well, and Batman and Robin couldn't use the Batcomputer. Did they um, yell at her about it? Uh, they didn't yell at her, but Batman does say... And so, because of a woman's vanity... A battle 
may be lost. Oh, my God. It's outrageous, isn't it? It's terrible. What did you think of the way the British Colonel Gum dressed up as that British guy called the Americans colonials? Felt awkward. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Can we get back to Bruce Lee for a moment? Let's. Okay, so there was this bit of trivia on IMDb, and I can't verify if it's true. It's IMDb trivia. So take this completely with the grain of salt, with the pre-analyzed noodle from the alphabet soup. Like, just treat it with complete, like, just, I don't think this is true. I can't believe that it's true. But apparently there was a lot of mirth on the set of this week's Batman installment, where apparently Burt Ward had been getting around talking about how good his karate skills were. Oh, please, bro. Apparently constantly bragging about it. And his skills, not really quite there. <laughs> but everyone kept on hearing about it. And, like, in my mind, it's kind of a bit like Dirk Diggler and his friends in Boogie Nights when they start talking up his, like, musical abilities. and Right. Yeah. That, that's how I sort of picture this. But he's going around talking about what a great karate guy he is. And then Bruce Lee's on the set, and obviously Bruce Lee's Bruce Lee. So Bruce Lee hears that Burt Ward fancies himself as a bit of a karate expert, and he just starts freaking him out. And so when you watch the episode, anytime that he's got a scene with Bruce Lee and Burt Ward in the same scene, Burt Ward looks decidedly freaked out because Bruce <laughs> Lee's been just playing shenanigans on him all week. I uh, will choose to believe that. I think that sounds great. Towards the end, when Bruce Lee and Robin are fighting, he is demolishing him. And it's clear that this is a person who can fight. And Burt Ward is, um, he sneaks a punch in, I think, which is the most unbelievable thing that's ever happened on this show. Because <laughs> he seemed competent at actually doing something. Yeah, there's no way Robin, this Robin, is getting a punch in on Bruce Lee. Okay, here's a line from the trivia blurb that I got off the IMDb. According to a number of witnesses on set, Ward cried out, Bruce, this isn't real. This is only a show. (laughs) (laughs) That's wonderful. Gee golly. Imagine we lived in a world where Bruce Lee could be Batman. Imagine Uh, that show. Do you know Bruce Lee films particularly well? I've seen a lot of them. So, Nick, usually at this point in the show, we've got a guest here and we ask them who their Batman was. And we explore Batman a fair bit. But this week's a particularly interesting one in that, first of all, we don't have a guest. But secondly, we've got Bruce Lee. Now, I'll admit, I've seen a couple of Bruce Lee films. I don't really know which ones are which. I, you know, it's definitely sort of teenage years just trying to get across a lot of cinema. So I don't really remember much of Bruce Lee other than just his his presence. But, like, you'd know Bruce Lee a bit better, I think. I went through a phase. I, it might have been after uh, Dragon. Dragon. It's so That's interesting really inspiring how... film. Like, yes. as soon as you watch that, you want to get across Bruce Lee. Which must have been when I did it as well. So, like, it'd be 94, 95, yeah. so I was mid-teenage. Well, it might, it's a testament, I think, to Jason Lee's performance. Um, Jason Lee Scott. Oh, Jason Lee Scott's performance. Because it would be quite a different film if it was Jason Lee. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, I would also watch that film. Oh, look, I'd totally watch that film. But only <laughs> if he's dressed as Brody from More Rats. Because he looks amazing. He's probably not as... He's a little bit um, bigger than Bruce Lee was, mm. but... The way he moved and the way he fought, at least at the time, I totally bought into it. I think he probably overacts a bit in certain places, but that's to be expected. And also that combined with when was The Crow out? I was about Brandon Lee's The Crow. Yeah, because that's when everybody started talking about Bruce Lee again then as well because of The Curse. So The Crow came out in 1994. And Dragon came out in 93. So yeah, I that think was it's peak. around that time, yeah. peak uh, Bruce Lee stuff. And so I watched um, Enter the Dragon, which is great. I love it. There's a part in it that I'll always, that I'll never forget where 
they're getting ready to go go infiltrate this island led by with some team led by Bruce Lee, and uh, they want to bring their guns, and Bruce Lee says no, no guns, and it's very badass. He's also if you're more into um, the Chinese connection is kind of a is a more uh, maybe not authentic but old school uh, Hong Kong kung fu picture, and Game of Death is also really great. That's the one with um, Kareem Abdul Jabbar in it. <laughs> Doesn't sound sounds weird, but oh, no, it's great. I, I need to check that out. That is firmly in my wheelhouse right there. And when I went to uh, Hong Kong, there's an amazing statue of him out on the um, what do you call it? The boardwalk type of uh, promenade. Yeah, he, you just feel how intense his uh, a performer he was, and what a big deal he meant to so many different people, and to I mean all the martial arts stuff that we see in um, in movies now. With that guy from The Matrix, I think he was influenced by Bruce Lee, wasn't he? The Which Matrix guy? The choreographer. And the um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon guy. All of this stuff comes out. Up? No, the choreographer when... <laughs> oh, boy. Um, all of that stuff comes out of Bruce Lee, I believe. Mm. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned Hong Kong just because it, he was obviously huge in Hong Kong. Yeah. When the Green Hornet played over there, it was called the Kato Show. That's fantastic. That is fantastic. But it, it, and it's just true. Yeah. The Green Hornet punching people is not as fun as Bruce Lee jumping around and doing big kicks. So, Nick, what lessons have you learned from the great man himself? And by the great man, obviously, I mean Britt Reid, the Green Hornet. <laughs> so uh, this week I'm taking a lesson from Kato. Kung fu is kung fu. It's not child's play. Look, that's an amazingly important lesson. Absolutely. Uh, I've heard that. I won't take it on board, though, and it's just going to do me harm at some point later in life. Yeah. Uh, my lesson this week, and this actually came from Robin of all people, and I feel embarrassed that I've learned something from Robin this week. He is a dunce. He's a dum dumb. but the week's lesson that I've taken away, there's no punctuation marks in alphabet soup. <laughs> Wait, is that even true? <laughs> I, mean, I guess it is. There I, wouldn't be any periods or... No, no exclamation points. Nothing. Yeah. Barely even a quotation mark. Well, that is something. Oh, it's something, all right. Hey, Nick, this is the end of another Batman land. We've learned a lot. We've laughed. We've cried. We've been doing some kung fu kicks around the studio. We have. People, they can contact you on Twitter. How do they do that? I'm at Edward G. Robinson. Yeah. Edward G. Robinson fan at sbs.net. That's a lot of characters. Is there another Twitter handle at all? At Nick Bassine. You can reach me there too. Yeah, people can find me at the Dan Barrett. If you are on Twitter or your other social media platforms of choice, it's really like Facebook. Yeah. Um, hashtag Batman Land helps people chat about the show. We can follow the conversation. I hear that's how that works. Nick, we've got a couple of other podcasts around the place. Yeah. You're on one. It's called The Playlist. What happens there? Well, it's a frank and open uh, cultural conversation about uh, television and movies. Indeed. With uh, Fiona Williams. Yeah, she's on it. Yeah. Speaking of Fiona Williams, she is hosting a podcast we've launched in the last week or so here. It's called Eyes on Gilead. It's a podcast about The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. And she's joined by our good friends, Sana Kadar and also Natalie Hampley. They talk about The Handmaid's Tale in a much more serious and revealing way than the dum-dums here on this podcast. You also host a Good Fight podcast, don't you, Dan? I do indeed. Thanks, Nick. Uh, if you're enjoying the TV show, The Good Fight, check us out. We in great show, by the way. The TV show or the podcast? Both. Oh, thank you very much. Oh, gosh, I blush so much. Yeah, if you like The Good Fight, check out the podcast, the excellently named Good Fight, an SBS fan podcast. 
That's always the best, uh, the best way to end these episodes. Uh, the name of that podcast—it's it's phenomenal. Yeah. Like it just gets people cheering in the seats. Anyway, we do look at the good fight. We explore some of the real world stories that influence that show. Because that show—it's a bit like Law and Order, where there's real world stories that you know, uh, inspirations for what goes on in the show. If you check out the most recent episode, they deal with the Donald Trump PP tape. Yeah. How do you not want to watch that? Very curious. Now, finally, Nick, before we get out for this week, I just wanted to do two quick bits of promo for things which aren't publicising SBS things at all. But rather, if you're listening to Batman Land, there's a very good chance that you're probably a comic book reader, or at least a comic book friendly or favourable. Uh, this weekend is Free Comic Book Day. What does that mean? So, once a year, all the comic book stores around the world, you can walk into one and they'll give you a free comic book. Get out of here. Any comic book you want? No. Uh, so, basically, all the publishers will put together, like, two or three books, and they're, like, specially made books for Free Comic Book Day. And they're usually a little bit thinner, so a standard comic's, like, about 25, 28 pages. But instead, this will be, like, a 13, 14-page book. What day is it? Uh, so, it's on Saturday. And I'm I going. I'll take my child. Okay, now here is the bit of information I want to give people if this is the first time you're ever hearing about Free Comic Book Day. Free Comic Book Day, every store will have a whole bunch of events taking place. So there'll be writers and artists. Um, in Sydney at King's Comics, uh, former Batman Land guest and friend of the podcast, Nicholas Scott, oh, she'll be there doing some signing. And she was also the artist on their exclusive Action Comics 1000 issue from a few weeks ago. Anyway, you can get along to these stores, they'll give you a free comic, and they'll usually have some other promotions and you know, like specials and discounts on other books in the store. The thing is, these are hugely sought after events because they've got limited edition comics that people won't be able to access otherwise. So I would recommend if you are going for the first time and you don't want to be waiting in a queue for about two hours to get a free comic book, because, you know, come on, people are adults, they've got things to do. Maybe just rock up a bit later in the day, crowds will subside a bit, the enthusiasm will wear down. You may not necessarily be able to get every comic that you're after, but you'll still be able to get a few free comics. So stop by there, and because it's free comic book day as well, you're getting a free book, go to the shelf, spend, you know, 15 bucks, get a couple of comics. I think it's great that you, um, that you do this for the comic book fans out there. Look, I do what I can. Also, if you're interested in DC Comics characters, Superman, the 1978 movie directed by Richard Donner. If you're in Sydney, this Sunday night, so that is on the 6th of May, you can stop by the Hayden Orpheum uh, cinema and you can watch the 1978 Superman up on the screen. It's not just any ordinary version of the film though, it's the three hour cut. What? Which is this version that was made exclusively for TV and it's got things that I've never seen in Superman before. And so it's gonna be playing between six and 9 p.m. this Sunday night. Does this amount to an hour and a half of Marlon Brando? Is this, that one of these scenarios? That is honestly what I'm concerned about because I really love the first Superman movie, but the sequences on Krypton, man, do they drag. Yeah. I don't think they hold up particularly well. If I could do my own edit of that film, I'd truncate those down to about five or ten minutes and then, you know, cut out. Because I think it's like a good 35 minutes of Krypton Yeah, business. it's pretty long. And as much as I love Marlon Brando. Yeah. Like, there's so much. The production design on those sequences are amazing. There's just too much of it. It's just yeah. too slow. What do you think about the Krypton scenes in Man of Steel? You know what? They're kind of fun. <laughs> I don't hate Man of Steel. I think it's got some problems, but I'm not one of these people okay. with whom are completely outraged by the movie. Yeah, it's got some, you know, cheerful moments. Folks, this has been Batman Land. We'll be back next week. Same Batman Land time, same Batman Land channel. Until then. Batman.